First of all, let me define what a pasher is. One of the, a style uh, of uh, scholarship and writing that has been discovered uh, among the writings, uh, especially in the Dead Sea Scroll, the Qumran community, was the fact that uh, good scholars uh, in, in Hebrew tradition will take a scripture and then what they will do is that they will then apply it to their particular circumstance. And even if it goes beyond what that particular scripture meant, they're still going to apply it to themselves. And so you'll get a long commentary with this particular verse or chapter or part of scripture that winds itself in and out of this discussion. But they're using that scripture as a basis to talk about the stuff they want to talk about. That's a pasher, a commentary on a particular scripture and on their situation. Does that make sense? Okay. And again, the Dead Sea Scrolls are full of pashers. It is they will use a part of Isaiah or a part of something like that to talk about what's coming in the future, their own experiences and what to expect. And one of the things that scholars have found is that the last... With 2 Nephi, remember, we got right up to 2 Nephi 4 in the Psalm of Nephi, and Nephi was done with his story about him and his family and getting to the Promised Land. Then we get a whole chunk of Isaiah, which sets up Nephi's Peshir at the end of 2 Nephi. So 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 is his Peshir. It is a commentary about the future about the Book of Mormon, about Gentiles. There's this beautiful description, and he's going to use Isaiah as his jumping-off point. Okay? So what we're going to get then, is Nephi wants to finish his whole, his kind of his final opus to anybody that's going to be reading down through, the, through history uh, about Israel, the Gentiles, and his book. First of all, he's going to have to draw on his own vision. What vision did he have? The vision of Lehi's dream. So where his dad had in, in 1 Nephi 8 had the tree of life vision, but it was really focused as much on his own family and their own circumstances as possible. Then Nephi's going to ask, and remember the spirit guide is going to come and walk him through. Nephi's going to see the expanded version of the tree of life, but with a view not just towards his own family, but to his people, the history of the Gentiles, the history of Israel, uh, where the, the Book of Mormon, and it's, always, and it's going to go all the way to the end of the world. Except he's going to get to a certain point, and the angel says, I'm going to show this to you, but you are forbidden to write it. Because the keys, that stewardship has been given to actually two others. We're going to get a chance to write this vision. Specifically the one I'm showing to you, John for Revelation will be, able, will be given that, that will be contained in the, in the Bible. Why? Because you'll write it plainly and everybody will know. <laughs> if I tell it to John, he'll do it in symbolism and it will survive the, the people that will be editing scripture and they'll leave it in. I will give it to another and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. 
There's another one that will have the whole vision of this. And it too will be written but sealed. And by the way, I will allow the, the Nephite transcribists to be able to include this in there except it's going to be sealed. And that vision was given to Brother Jared. He also has this vision, but it's going to be the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. But Nephi, in, in putting his Peshir together, is going to have the, the, the uh, advantage of his own vision. Okay? Now, the, the other one that he's got when he's putting this together is Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29 is his jumping off point. That's, that's what he's going to use to weave this whole series of chapters together. And he's going to jump off. And some will be very specific to Isaiah, but he's going to take that Isaiah 29 and project it to the history of Israel and Gentiles and the Book of Mormon and all that stuff. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Now, as he's putting this together, what else does he have at his disposal? He's got his vision. He's got Isaiah 29. What else? Brass plates. He's got the brass plates. I should have included that. I didn't put that in there. Thank you. And he's got his own personal revelation. Okay. So, we set the table enough. That's, that's, where, we're, that's where we're going with all of this. All right. So let's start. Let's start. Let's, let's turn to Second Nephi twenty-six because here's where we're going to start. He's rolling out of Second Nephi or, or out of Isaiah chapters, and now he's going to start his commentary. So if we're going to look at this, we're going to find. So he's giving us all of the signs of what the about when the Savior is going to return, and this is going to be very Savior centrific. In other, this is going to be focused on the, the role of the Savior. Now, why is he going to spend so much time talking about the Savior and the signs and what to look for? Who's his audience? Oh, us. Us and. Specifically, who? So Gentile, you got two major audiences. One is Gentiles. Who's the other one? Jews. And specifically, who else? Who's he been looking at as he looks through the visions down through the corridors of history? His descendants. His descendants, part of which are going to be killed off. Part of which, especially the remnants of uh, meaning the, his brother's people, and the whole purpose of the Book of Mormon is to do what? Convince them. Bring them back. Bring them home. I heard this week about a 10-year-old kid who, as he's reading through the Book of Mormon, he says, Mom, this is, the Book of Mormon is just a, it's a book of converts. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Okay? So, he's going to say, okay, Messiah shall come. Here are the signs given of his birth. Wait a minute. What other group is he talking to? When, let's, let's, let's remind ourselves. 
Remember, we're always we're going to be looking at this, especially as we start getting into Messiah and King Benjamin and all that. At the back of this is always the Deuteronomus. Now let's remind ourselves, who are the Deuteronomus? They don't believe in angels or visions. Or a savior to come. Oh. Remember that uh, we were talking last uh, semester about the Deuteronomus, that is Josiah and his scribes when they found the Torah and everybody got apostate. And in their anxiety and anxiousness to get people to come back to the book for all the right reasons, the, the scribes actually went through and said, salvation is about living the law of Moses. It's all about the law of Moses and the temple, meaning the temple of Solomon. And in order to do that, we're going to start editing the Old Testament in a way that takes out any ongoing revelation, ongoing visions. We're going to sanitize it so that all roads lead back to the law of Moses. That's where they're going to ultimately get the idea that salvation, that if we are living the law of Moses, we are saved. And we don't want any more revelation. Nothing. Anybody having more visions is a false prophet. And a belief in a, in a prophet to come would be outside of the canon of the law of Moses because we don't understand why the law of Moses is given. So we're going to exclude that and we will edit it out of our writings. So part of what Nephi is doing as he starts trying to explain in detail is there is a Savior coming. And he is the purpose behind the law of Moses. That Everything in the law of Moses pointed towards the Savior. And here's who he is. Wait till we, wait till we get to Korahor. And you're going to hear a Deuteronomist on steroids. There is no being coming in the future. That's stupid. Okay? So, he's going to say, he's going to come. Here are the signs. Uh, Wherefore all that are proud do wickedly and then... The day cometh, he shall burn them up. Anybody know what he, where he's quoting from here? In a weird sort of way? This is actually Malachi. At the end of the Old Testament. Nephi is writing in 600 B.C. He's quoting something probably from the brass plates that probably Malachi was looking at. Okay. All right. Wicked day will come. They're going to kill the prophets. Uh, then there's going to, he's going to visit them with thunderings and lightning and earthquakes and all manner of destruction. The righteous, the righteous will hearken. Then he's going to say, and when these things have passed, a speedy destruction coming for my people. Notwithstanding the pains of my soul, I have seen it. What destruction is he talking about? His people, his descendants. Okay. Then he's going to say this. For the Spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. When the Spirit ceaseth to strive with man, then cometh speedy destruction, and this grieveth my soul. Now, I want to stop here for a sec. I want to talk about the, the, the word, remember that words in the scriptures, verbs, the, the descriptions they're using are used so precisely, so with such precision to give us, to fill our, our minds and our hearts with better images. 
Now, if he's going to say, let, let me put this in plainer words on this one. There will come a time when the people don't feel the Spirit very much. Right? He's going to say, there will become a time when they're so wicked, they're just not going to feel the Spirit. But what verb does he choose to use here? Strive. What other words could he have used? Feel, sense, be aware of, be filled with. Why would he use the word strive? What when you picture strive, what do you picture? Somebody working actively towards something. Anybody got any teenage kids that you had to get up for seminary this morning? <laughs> or not what not this morning, but do you have to strive as parents sometimes to get them up? A lot of times you hear the word diligent in connection, you know, an extra effort. It's an extra effort. In this case, so it is. You get this sense, and the word is actually the the word that I found was diam. Down, meaning pleading. So who's doing the striving here? The Spirit is doing the striving. With us. Striving is an action word. So, so what, what are some other synonyms for striving? That the Spirit is doing something. If it's striving, put that in different words. The Spirit is... Trying to attain something that you have not yet achieved. Trying to give you something. Yeah. Right. What else? Working towards. Working towards. Working specifically with us, with man. So the Spirit is doing something to us. Influence. It's going to influence us. Sure. That's striving. In other words, you're here and I'm going to, I want to move you in a certain direction. I, I'm striving to get you to do something, to act in a certain way, to believe things. I looked it up in my dictionary app. To exert oneself vigorously. Like oh, vigorously. vigorously. Isn't that great? Okay, so, so let, me, let me put it in, in these terms. So I got thinking about that, and I thought this was... The, the Spirit, in a sense, if we understand what the Holy Ghost and the Spirit does in, in, in the first place, I want you to recognize that something is kind of at work here. If we have heaven here, and we've got mankind, the Spirit we know, that when we think about the words that are used, the Spirit is a mediator. The Spirit is a testator. Look at what the Spirit does. First of all, the role of the Spirit is to reveal God to man. What does He need to reveal to us about God? What, what needs to be revealed? His true nature as opposed to what? As opposed to man's idea, what we have been taught, or what we believe, or our own narrow-minded stuff. We're going to talk about that in a second when we talk about puffing. So his true nature needs to be revealed. What else? Our relationship with him. 
how we actually relate to Him, our relationship to Him, which is really what the temple is about, right? So God, His real self, who He is, has to be revealed, opened up to us, and the Spirit, in essence, is the medium, it is the striver, it is the testator of who He is. He teach, the Spirit teaches us about Him. By the way, have you ever found it, I've always found it interesting when we talk about the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is those that do what? Deny the Holy Ghost. Deny the Savior? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Wouldn't you think that the unpardonable sin would be denying the Savior? Why is the unpardonable sin, the one you can't come back from, the one that ends you up in kind of the deepest, darkest pits of whatever, why is that the unpardonable sin, the sin against the Holy Ghost and not the Savior? That's how the Savior speaks to us. That's, that's he, something tangible that we've, that sure. we've felt. That we've... So, he's, so He speaks to us, but I can deny it and still not be... And still not be the unpardonable sin. You deny it once you've had it, once you've felt it, once you've recognized it. Denying what? The Spirit. Yes. So, isn't that interesting that we could be denying the fact that we've learned about the Savior, we know who He is, but last time I checked, Satan knows who He is. Last time I checked, the wicked kind of know that Jesus was born and He did stuff. So we're denying the communication. There you go. The, the, the communication that does what? That witnesses to us. To us. Yeah, personally. A, it's personal and we're pushing it away. There you go. There you go. So it's not just that... get it. Okay, exactly. The reason why that's the unpardonable sin is that it isn't that we're just denying the... the the reality of who God was, it's that when the Spirit has strove with us, has borne witness to us, has filled us, we now know. We are, He has been revealed to us in a way that we cannot deny until we do. That's why Joseph Smith said the unpardonable sin, uh, denying the Holy Ghost, is seen uh, the sun at noonday and denying that it's even there. And how do we know that that's there, the true nature of, of God and who He is and what He intends for us and what we're supposed to do? The Holy Ghost is, is that medium. Now, let me take it one step farther though because... Part of what I realized in the last couple of weeks is it, it, it hit me that the Spirit acts as a mediator and He reveals God to man. However, does the Spirit also reveal man to God? He is a mediator for us. Not just in God telling us who He is, but the Spirit also does what? Tells God who we are. Paul got this. If you go to uh, Romans 8, uh, he's going he's to explain. 
Romans 8.26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh what? Strivings. Intercessions. Maketh intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be expressed. Yes. Through the Spirit. Okay. Now you're asking the right questions. So in what way, what is Paul talking about when he says the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us? What would need to be revealed to God? Our real intent. What the desires of our hearts are. Not necessarily what we say to sometimes. Um, but how we really feel. And so he like fixes it all and then takes it to Heavenly Father. Ah. This is what she meant. <laughs> so, so, so we may kneel in prayer and we say, Heavenly Father, I want a pony. <laughs> Please give me a pony. I really, really want a pony. I could use a pony. It would make me happy. Uh, I could do missionary work with it because then I could let people ride my pony and then I could tell them about the Book of Mormon <laughs> while they're riding the pony. So I'm, I really, really, really would like the pony. And what's probably the Spirit going to intercede with? You don't need a pony. <laughs> Heavenly Father, she wants patience. <laughs> so, the, so the Holy Ghost becomes a translator. Intercedes for us with what we really need, what, not what we think we need. Okay? Now, but also in that sense of how are we going to know, how are we going to be revealed to God? I find it fascinating, when, at the end of the day, who, uh, and, and when we get to uh, Alma 41, we'll see this much more clearly, who judges us? But how's God going to judge us? Alma 41 will tell us that we are judged by primarily by ourselves. Where we, we, will, we will dwell where we are comfortable. Because if we take somebody who's wicked and they say, gee, all roads lead to God, and you take somebody who's consistently broken God's commandments, and you say, wonderful, let's bring you right into the presence of God and let you dwell in His presence. Would that be heaven or hell for them? That would be hell. In the same way as we talked about the woman that was dragged into the temple after caught in the act of adultery, plopped right next to the Savior in the temple and the Sanhedrin people standing around, think she's in the temple. That should be spiritually wonderful, right? I'm so glad to be in the temple today. Except you just brought me out of adultery and you've got me standing in front of the Savior of the world. Think she was uncomfortable? Think that was hell for her? Man, I'll say. That's why the Savior is then saying, let me bring you out of hell. Woman, where are thy accusers? Go thy way and sin no more. Let me bring you out of hell personally at that moment. But to take somebody that is not in a place to dwell with God and put them in the presence is hell. So we judge ourselves. And we are going to be judged and filled with light 
section 76 says we'll have bodies celestial. So really, how are we going to judge ourselves? It's like, well, just turn out the lights. Who glows? <laughs> okay, the 100 watt people are going to be really comfortable being next to God. 50 watt people are like, I want some distance. And the 10 watt people are saying, let me go somewhere else, please. That's ah, too intense for me. What fills us with that light? The Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So in a sense, that striving that we're being revealed to God, and you're right, He's omnipotent, He knows. But in a sense, we're also being revealed to Him. Our light is being revealed to Him. Because uh, and we have to keep reminding ourselves, are we going to be judged by what we've done? Is it a checklist? No. We are going to be judged by what? Who we have become. Yeah. And that... What's that? Yeah, but, who, but how does that changing occur? How does that changing occur? Yeah, so we are changed, we are transformed by the Spirit that strives with us, and not just that says, I'm going to strive and push you to seminary. The Spirit is going to strive and do what? Transforms us, changes us. Yeah. God is all-knowing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm struggling with the fact that the Holy Ghost reveals us to God. He knows us. Yeah. There's nothing to be revealed. How, how do, okay. How does He know us? The Holy Ghost reveals who we truly are to ourselves. Yes, that He does. God is already there. Right. We've just covered it and shouted it. Sure. Okay, but in His own... And that's true. That's why I say there's two parts here. One is, is that He... Re, and I, I probably could have put that as well. The Holy Ghost reveals us to ourselves. I think that... Teresa, I think that would be, that, that's a cool point. I could have altered this a little bit. But also, how does God stay on one end of the universe and come to know how we're doing in a distant planet? Because we are one with Him. Yes. How, how are we one with Him? We are His. Right. But, but, how would he, but how would He physically be in one place and know how we're doing way over here? How does that work? By the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the one that gives him that knowledge about how everything is going out there. That is the medium. That's, that's the mechanism, if you will, how it works. Isn't that the whole purpose of the Godhead? It's like a well-oiled machine? Yes, that's why the Holy Ghost has to be part of the Godhead. Because to be one with him, the Holy Ghost is kind of the mortar, if you will, that does that. That makes us one with him. Yeah. And in the order of the church, the Lord delegates his power to different people and and asks them to do certain things and then report to him and that's always how it is and so i think that's the holy ghost so so that's what okay so so let me ask you this what happens then when the spirit of god or the spirit of god this spirit ceases to strive with man where wherein lies the problem there oh my gosh think about what we were just describing kevin in old-fashioned terms 
Yes. Yeah. Communication doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's funny. In my in in my office, and I've got my iPad, and I've got my iPhone, and here's my computer, and I'm online, and I'm checking stuff like that, and and uh, my office mate is doing his stuff and everything. You ought to see what happens in our office when the internet goes down. <laughs> We're all sitting around staring at blank computer screens. Like, well, we can't get anything done. The, the internet is gone. What do we do? I don't know. Do we have to do it by hand? Yeah, but how do we do that? Everything is online. I believe that's pretty similar to what happens if the, if the spirit is going to strive Stop striving with man, the internet goes down. That revealing both ways is interrupted. That's why it is when we talk about someone doing the unpardonable sin and they're in outer darkness in a place where there's no light. There's no, there's no striving going on there. They're in a dark part of the universe. Whew. So when he's talking somewhere around the fact that the Spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man, that has so many complications on so many levels. Well, we're going to talk, and so let, let's kind of keep that in the back of your mind because Nephi in this Peshir is looking ahead and going, wow, when they fight against the book or they fight against the Savior, really bad things are going to happen here. The internet's down, and they're on their own. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you want to go here, but something that's always been kind of hard for me to understand is the sanctification process. You know, even back when a mission, you know, you, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you're sanctified. There are scriptures that also say, right. by the Spirit, right? Sanctified. By the Spirit, you're sanctified. Sure. So, how, what's the so, so the Savior has done the, the atonement. And, and we're actually, when we talk more next week, we're going to be talking about how that, how that uh, the, the Spirit by the, the, the baptism fire is how the actual cleansing of sins actually occurs. Baptism is a symbol. It's a sign by water. But the cleansing, cleaning, changing, transforming is all done by the Holy Ghost. It's the so baptism that, of fire. Is that why the sin against the Holy Ghost because so it steps huge. into your life and finishes that off and then you deny that? Life. I like that. Yeah, in fact, if you're going to deny that that's happening, you're really denying the reality of how you change. And, and you all. desire to do that in the first place. Sure. Well, I, I like that a lot. Can we go back just one minute and, and extend it for Tressa about the analogy with the internet? Yeah. The, if you'll take the analogy God owns the computer. He built it, he owns all the components. But whoever that uh, agent is within that computer has chosen to cut off the communication. So he still owns it. He can pick it up anytime he wants to. He can play the part, play the do whatever he chooses with it. But the computer has ceased to function. You but go, it girl. It change the ownership or the management of it. You go, That's you got cool. it. Yeah, right. You know, it's like God is a house wired with electricity. 
Yeah. We choose to plug in. Sure, absolutely. And turn it off. And right. that plugging in is prayer, meditation. Yeah, I like that. Be still. Accept that. that. At some point. Know who I am. Yeah. yeah. At some point, he will see on his end to communicate. Yeah. That's what that scripture is about, right? Okay, so now let's take that idea because there's a point at which we start to sleep. And, and Nephi in his explanation is going to say one of the things that interrupts this striving is a sleeping thing. Now, by the way, I ran across this picture last night and just fell in love with it. <laughs> this, is, this is from a church in France. And, and this is actually, uh, there was a, a, a woman um, Christian martyr in this small city in France that was buried at this church. And she, because she was killed, she was killed for being a Christian. So they buried her there. But when they were actually building the church, uh, the the sculptor putting this together kind of inserted her into into the foundation of the building. That's her peeking out. That's her peeking out. Yeah, oh, uh, that was great. She's she kind of looking up and like I'm here. I'm still here, even though she's been asleep for a long time by death. She's still there. She, she, there's still a presence. Okay? You know, and, and in some ways, I could almost put in my mind's eye, I was picturing something like the Salt Lake Temple. And if we had one of these for all the people whose sacrifices and death and stuff had helped contribute, for instance, just to the building of the Salt Lake Temple, wouldn't the foundation be full of these? But we're here. This is the original Kilroy was here. Oh, is this saint? I, I don't remember her name, but I just thought, wow, is that awesome. All right. So, let's go to 2 Nephi 27. Oh, good. We got about 40 minutes. That'll work. Not. Okay, now. So now, now he's moving forward in his view of, in his vision of the world, and he's going to say, but behold, in the last days, or in the days of the Gentiles, behold, all the nations of the Gentiles and also the Jews. Now, I realized as I was looking at this, and this may be a little bit my interpretation, but that actually gives us a, 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 a calendar moment that we're actually looking at when everything is going to come afterwards of this. Okay? It's really simple. Uh, behold, all the nations of the Gentiles, got it, and the nations of the Jews. What nation do we have of the Jews? Israel. When was, when was Israel Israel? When, did it, when was it chartered and became a nation of the Jews and not of the Ottomans or the Romans or the British protectorate? When did it become the nation of the Jews? 48. So as I'm looking at this, I, in my own notes, I put all of this comes after 1948, I believe. Just my own view of that. In the last days or in the days of the Gentiles, and all the nations of the Gentiles and Jews, both upon this land and those that are on the other lands, upon all the nations of the land, behold, they will be, listen closely, they will be drunken with iniquity and all manner of abominations. Okay, stop for a sec. Do the same thing as we did with striving. Why the verb? Drunken. Why would he use that? The, in the last days, they'll be really wicked. 
In the last days, they'll be bad. In the last days, they'll do a lot of stuff that they shouldn't. And he goes, no, they will be drunken with iniquity. Why? Out of control. Out of control. Yeah, and? Overcome. They will be overcome by what? Their wickedness, but their wickedness does what to them? Vice. It what? It's their vice. Yeah, it is their vice. And what do vices do? Controls you. Controls you. It's what addictions do. But certainly those that are drunk, uh, I, I'm always amazed, always amazed when, uh, and I, I've taken and started doing this just, I don't know why, but maybe it's because I spent some time in England. On New Year's Eve, uh, it is crazy time all over the world, but especially in England. And the English papers, usually on, on New Year's Day, love to publish pub-going amateurs on New Year's Eve in England. And what you get is like street after street of people that are passed out and sloppy drunk and throwing up in the corner and they're just drunken and out of control. Cindy? Oh, So, so that's why people always, you know, they're, they're drunk and they wake up the next morning and they go, uh-oh, what did I do? I used to be, I, I, I uh, worked with a man for a while who was uh, my boss and, and we would have a lot of fun because he would talk about how much he enjoyed uh, drinking. And he was one of these that would take his beers and put them in the, fri in the freezer because they could get incredibly super cold and not freeze. And don't put ice in my drink because it's going to dilute my drink. And we used to go back and forth and he says, I feel bad for you Mormons because you don't drink. And, I, and I'll always say, yeah, but I remember what I did the next day. I don't, I don't have to feel bad about what happened. He says, well, there is that. And so I get him telling stories about all the stupid things he did. When he went down to Pat O'Brien's in... New Orleans and just got sloppy drunk in 10 minutes. So I love the word drunken. If you picture that word, that they're drunken with iniquity. It is taken over and it is causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. It's contrary to your nature. And it is a loss of control. Although isn't it fascinating that the, the, one of the words that's used for Drinking is spirits. I just thought that's cool. <laughs> not, I mean filled with spirits. Not yeah, the, wrong spirits. Not the good kind. Okay. So they're going to be drunken with iniquity. And the time, that day will come. They shall be visited. And this isn't the Nephites or any other time. This is since 1948. Uh, that They will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder, earthquake, great noise, storm, tempest, the flame of devouring fire. Wow. Some of it happening, some yet to come. Yeah. And all the nations that fight against Zion and distress her. Stop for a sec. Who are we probably talking about? Israel would be the Zion. And who's the nations fighting against her? 
Right now, a lot of it is that those Arab nations that, that surround there. Okay? Now, listen to the description that he says, and for those nations that want to distress, attack, control, get rid of, destroy Zion, it shall be unto them even as a hungry man which dreameth. And he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. That is fantastic. You ever had those dreams where you're eating this wonderful food or something like that, and you wake up and it was a dream? No. No? <laughs> okay, I do. You haven't been to Hutchins that week. Yeah, I hadn't been to Hutchins that week. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, they are... He awaketh and his soul is empty like a thirsty man which dreameth and he drinketh but he awaketh and he is, he is faint and his soul hath appetite and, and so shall be the multitude of all the nations that will fight against Mount Zion. Okay? Israel was formed in 1948. How long did it take before the first war began after the UN formed Israel? 12 minutes. Yeah. It was. True. Okay, so then they have the, the, and so the first war of independence in Israel is 1948, literally minutes after the, the nation is declared. Okay, and then the next big one is going to be 1967, where all the nations, the UN pulls out, they see it coming, they get out of the way, all the nations converge on uh, Israel. We go into all the miracles that happen as far as that, but in six days, that thing's over. And at the end of that, they didn't get what they were dreaming of, which was to wipe Israel off the map. And then we get 72 in the Yom Kippur War. And then we, get, I mean, just we keep going on and on and on. How many nations dream, think about, desire? I mean, this weekend we removed the sanctions on the one that has been the most vocal about wanting to destroy Israel. That's frightening, and give them the oil and money to do that. But I won't get into politics. For behold, all ye that doeth iniquity, stay yourselves and wonder. Hold on to yourselves. For ye shall cry out and cry, ye, in the same way that these nations are going to want to attack Israel, and they're always going to be disappointed. Now he makes it more personal. This is the Bashir. Okay? Yeah, let's see. All those who do iniquity, stay yourself and wonder. Ye will cry out and cry. Yea, ye will be drunken, but not with wine. Ye shall stagger. Listen to the imagery. Can you? He just paints the picture. That's what. That's what good uh, Hebrew poets do. You will stagger, but not with strong drink. For behold, the Lord, and he's quoting here, and I, and I believe this was, I, I believe this is a mistake myself. Because uh, I can't find any, this makes no sense to me here. I think this is a, this is my own idea. I think it's a typo in Isaiah. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. I think their iniquity has poured out of them the deep sleep. The Lord doesn't intend to put us to sleep. The Lord is striving with us. Unless somebody else has a different interpretation of how that works. 
In other words, we're, but we're going to have the spirit of deep sleep. Behold, ye have closed your eyes, and ye have rejected the prophets and your rulers and the seers. Hath he covered because of your iniquity? If there's any sleep here, so I'm going to remove you. From, I'm going to, I will cause the city to be destroyed so that you'll be separated from these people that keep leading you astray. Okay? All right. Now, here's what's going to happen. Now he's going to weave into this. But you know what? It'll come to pass that after this, the Lord God shall bring unto you the words of a book, and they'll be the words of them that have slumbered. That Now, that you get this two different types of sleep. There are those that sleep because they're drunk. And then there are going to be those that sleep like the, the, the Christian martyr we were just showing. And they slumber because they're dead. <laughs> right? They shall be the words of them that have slumbered. Behold, the book shall be sealed. And in the book shall be a revelation from God from the beginning of the world to the ending thereof. The book is going to be delivered to a man. But the words that are sealed, he shall not deliver. Neither shall he deliver the book. For the book shall be sealed by the power of God. The revelation which was sealed shall be kept in the book until the due time when the Lord shall bring it forth. Now, why is it sealed? Why, why would God give us a book... Why would God deliver to Joseph Smith a book and have a third of it sealed? Because we're not ready to hear it, right? Why? Because we're drunken. We don't read very well when we're drunken, do we? We don't comprehend really well when the Spirit isn't striving with us. Why else? There's also so much that we have to learn before we're ready to hear. So we'd have to learn first before we're ready. Yeah, teacher? Why is the book of Revelation in code? Why is Isaiah in poetry and hard to understand? Why is part of the book sealed? Then we have the accountability to do what it's telling us we're going to do. And then we will know. The Spirit will have revealed to us what is coming. We're on the hook. We're on the hook. So it is actually an act of kindness that he doesn't reveal the sealed part to us. But he intends for us to have it, right? Okay. Now, I, I, by the way, I think that's fascinating because what this says is that in this book there is part of it which is the, the part that we have of the Book of Mormon, and I, and I actually skipped over first uh, chapter 25, Nephi talks a lot about he loves to write in plainness. Loves plain. What is not, and so would, if we had the books of the brother of Jared talking about this history of the world, and that's really what's in the sealed part. If we had that, would it be plain to understand? Oh yeah. That's why it has to be sealed. Is 
It's, that's right. It's not hidden. And that's why, that's why when Joseph actually held the plates, and uh, two-thirds of it, he had the plates, and then there was a sealed part that he couldn't open up in some way. And it was the visions of the brother of Jared where he actually saw the vision, saw the same thing that John the Revelator did. He saw it, wrote it down in plainness. We would have exact details that we're not ready for. Okay? So, um, it seems like uh, before, the church was under con- condemnation because of the way we were treated. There, we were. That? That's a good question. She, she says that we were chastised in the time of uh, Joseph Smith that w- the church was under condemnation for uh, not having studied the Book of Mormon. When President Benson was prophet, he said at that point we were still under condemnation and we needed to study the Book of Mormon more. So I don't know if that's kind of been lifted. My sense is, since the time of President Benson rolling forward, we have been making better scholarship and deeper scholarship on the Book of Mormon than any time in our history. And when I read the scholarly stuff coming out of BYU... The wonderful scholarship on the Book of Mormon is like nothing. I've it certainly wasn't there in the '80s when I was at BYU. I, I think, and yes, we have come a long way, but I think we, we as, as people, hold on to that idea because we're going one more here. Because we talked about uh, the, the sleeping thing. The next thing he's going to hit us on is puffing, and we're look. That uh, time-wise, you probably ought to get out of the puppy. Okay. But anyway, suffice it to know that he's going to say... Oh, I know what I was going to say. But by the way, if I take any of you... Um, Sister Maloof, let me pick on you for a second. Uh, if I take your gospel knowledge and the things that you have learned in your life, and you're, you're, you're a student of the Scriptures, and you want to know and learn and study, there's a certain amount of this gospel that is not sealed to you. It's a certain part that you know. The Spirit has strove with you and opened it up for you. True? How much of your gospel knowledge is actually still sealed to you? Do you have a sealed part of your knowledge? That has not yet been opened to you. Where? Where? Where would, where would your knowledge that is contained in the sealed part have come from? Yeah, and, and it actually goes, I believe our sealed part is actually what we know from the pre-existence. That there is a veiled, sealed part of us that we do not yet have access to that is there nevertheless, but veiled. And sealed. Does that make sense? It's kind of a cool idea. And, I, and by the way, I believe I I was I was picturing this uh, yesterday, and I thought, you know what? There are times when there's this warm, glowing, powerful, celestial, burning, sealed part of me in there. And so, what happens when I'm in, I'm listening to conference, or I'm reading the scripture, or I'm inspired, or something like that? What happens when the veil goes and it opens for just a second? What what would happen if you were on a you walk into a house and it's on a cold morning and you're kind of freezing 
and you crack open on a bright, sunshiny day the curtain for just a second. It glow, it light and warmth, and it happens for just a second. Wow! I think I understand. Wow! Okay, it's done. Enough to go. Wow, there was something there, and it was big, and it was powerful, and I felt the warmth. And dang it, it closed up again. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really feel like I can testify to that because I grew up in a home where my parents were not religious, but I went to a daycare that was affiliated with the church. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I remember my parents Yeah. And I remember sitting there and thinking, which I had never been taught those things in my home, but I remember as the teacher would tell me these stories for years, thinking to myself, I remember this almost like I had been taught that before. It's familiar. And I felt like a sponge. I just, I could not get enough of it. I wanted to know so much more. And I really feel like that's what it was. It was, it was that knowledge that I had that I was recognizing truth. Yeah. That I would continue to seek after that throughout my life. Sure. Until I found the truth. It just opens that up for us. Yeah. We had Elder Evans come for the Allen State Conference here a few weeks ago. And in priesthood leadership, he talked about as DNC uh, 59.4 about commandments, not a few. And when I think about these, re- these revelations that come in a sealed piece, as do you have maybe certain commandments for you personally that hasn't been revealed to the church? Ah, yeah. That, and, and Elder Evans says, you go get your own list. And, and it's interesting, um, DNC 59 has come a, a new favorite of mine. Oh, but about these revealed portions that come to you, that are for you, and they're probably part of these, like I said, I like what you're drawing a parallel there, these, these sealed commandments, just for you. And, and this knowledge that we have and so things we're supposed to be doing and that we would be accountable for if we knew them. And it's not time yet for us to know them because we're not doing them yet. But as long as we don't know them, we kind of have a uh, deniability factor. It wasn't revealed to me yet, Heavenly Father. Don't hold me to it yet because I haven't learned it yet. Yeah. Um, I totally am getting the open curtain thing where it's not <laughs> <you are>. yet. <laughs> It's not yet revealed, right? So right. It's not time yet. So we must be part of that suffering to bring um, Israel to the moment of where it needs to be so that we can all be revealed. Does that? It does. And in fact, when the Kirtland uh, Temple was dedicated back in 1836, Joseph Smith said that our job as members of the church was to help prepare the way for the Jews to go back to Israel and build that and everything. That's that's part of our job. You got a new responsibility you didn't even know you had. Okay? <laughs> Alright. So in the time we've got remaining, let's go to uh, 2 Nephi 28 because I want to talk um, here about here are those that are going to battle against this in the last days. Going to battle against the book. Going to battle against Zion. And how they're going to do it. Um, now, it shall come to pass that in that day that churches which are built up but not unto the Lord. Now, you need to think in, in the way that, that Nephi and they're going to talk about churches, don't think about a particular church. Think more about a way of believing that is much broader than that. It's not, it's not a specific church. Okay? 
It, uh, churches, ways of believing that are built up and not unto the Lord. They shall say, I am the Lord. The others say, I am the Lord. And they're going to battle. Their priests will contend one with another. They will teach with their learning. So I'm going to rely more upon our learning. Uh, it's interesting. I've got a... Some of you uh, have... have uh, in past classes, I had my friend uh, Marlo Hunter come in and, and teach. And, and Marlo is married to a Jewish lady. And he will go to their synagogue. And they just got a new... Um, Rabbi, thank you. It's like the temple president, only different. Uh, but they just got a new rabbi, and she and she's coming in, and she's saying uh, there was no Moses, there was no Exodus, there was no uh, children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness. We don't have any history of that. That is all mer- metaphorical. There was no flood. There was no parting of the Red Sea. That's all symbolic. Why? Because we don't have scientific evidence to prove any of that stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, and by the way, I have, I have been reading online. Member, good members of the church that are trying to do the same thing with this church. I don't think there really was a gold plate thing. Really? There, was, there really wasn't a first vision. Yeah, take away, take away the historic, the historic, historic, historic. Historicity. <laughs> we go the wrong direction with that. That could be bad. <laughs> okay. Priests will contend. They will teach with their learning. Uh, they will deny the power. Hearken unto us. Hear our precept. There is no God today. For the Lord and His Redeemer has done His work and He's given His power unto men. And then we get this one. Um, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop over here and then I'm going to come back. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. Uh, boy, I tell you, when you go into any of the f- massive cathedrals in Europe or uh, uh, Versailles or uh, Hagia Sophia or... Uh, I mean, look at all of these beautiful, massive, gold-filled... In, in all the kingdoms and stuff of the world, and and I always picture that uh, there's that moment at Versailles when when the people rebel and they overthrow and they're pouring into across the courtyard in Versailles, and then they're going to show up in the Hall of Mirrors and go, we don't even have bread, and this is gold crusted stuff. The, the riches were here, and we're dying in the streets. Wow, they're going to rob. The poor because of their fine sanctuaries and they rob the poor because of their fine clothing. They persecute the meek and the poor in heart because in their pride, and here comes another one of those words, they are puffed up. What does it mean to puff something up? There's a lot of hot air. And no substance inside it. Right? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to probably the last place you think I'd be going on a day like this. And I hope I can Hope I don't offend, but I thought this is the best way I know how to describe it.
You go, what the heck was that? The jam box. The jam box. Okay, yeah. We need it's not working, right? Just turn it up. Just turn it up? Yeah. Can you turn it down? Uh, it just, maybe it just needs to be up. Jambox is in bearing mode. I understand. Waiting for device to connect. I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Anytime that you're going to try and do something like this. Uh huh. Parrot. Okay. Here we are. Okay, let's try this again. I found this was the best place I could find for puffed up. Whenever they want. 
They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some meat monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all here. I'm going to blow my enterprise. I'm going to check. You know, I'm driving the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich. And I can just risk it. Not because the majority of the time I have to cancel that. You know, just one way's an aspirin a lot shorter the first time you go in there. It's like a room company. I'm going to try to take that over. And they're going to go, no, 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 human condition that wants to do that? What is about the human condition that we have to puff ourselves up? To make ourselves feel better about our um, own inequities. Yeah, but, the, but isn't it interesting that I'm going to feel better about myself by making somebody feel but I have to make somebody else feel worse or I've got to somehow prove that I'm better than everybody else. Now, the scary thing is, and what he's talking about they persecute the meek and poor in heart because their pride, they are puffed up. They wear stiff necks and high heads, and because of pride and wickedness and abomination and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few, who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err. It's one of those problems that we struggle with sometimes if we're saying very loudly, well, we're the one true church. What are we basically saying? Everybody else is wrong. And if we're saying everybody else is corrupt, except us, what are we saying to the humble followers that week after week are in their church trying to become good people and raise their families? What are we saying to, what are we saying to them? I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And, and then be surprised when there's umbrage on their part. When they're saying, wait a minute, I'm trying to be a good person, and you're saying I'm corrupt. It's hard to sometimes separate and say, we believe that there are churches that don't have all of the truth, but man, there are awfully wonderful people in, in these other churches. And it's not their fault that they don't have the entire truth. But the truths they have, they live, they fulfill, they strive. They, they, they are great, great people. And I don't have any doubt about the celestial kingdom for those guys. Because mm -hmm. give them the chance to learn the gospel and they see it, it has a familiar spirit to it and they go, I'm there. Yeah. I love that because a couple of Sundays ago we, our Sunday school teacher um, said, who's going to get into the celestial kingdom by what power? By the priesthood power. And it was like, we are only the only people that get in. And I raised my hand and I said, uh, wait a minute, I don't think so. And, you know, and he said, oh yes, only those people who have priesthood. And I, I just dropped it because I didn't want to get into a big <laughs> argument. Uh, 
Right. They are. Yeah, she was in the wrong church. Hard to be her, isn't it? All that stuff for nothing. You know, as opposed to recognizing that they will recognize the truth. Yeah, are they going to have to have a priesthood ordinance to get into the celestial kingdom? Sure. But put them in the right setting, given their heart and who they are and their spirit, it'll take them about 30 seconds to figure that one out. Yeah, yeah. Who then they're going to hear it? They're going to respond to it. They will recognize it, and they will be humble enough to say, "I want the more that you have for me." Yeah. Yeah. If, if that's right. Oh, that's a great point. That's a, th- th- there was your answer right there. How come we do temple work? <laughs> Yeah, it's like if, if they didn't have it, how come we're busy saying, no, we're going to get them the priesthood. We'll take care of They were good people. That we'll take care of the ordinance side on our part. That's a great answer. Okay, But in order to do that, though, part of what he's trying to get to us in, in 28 is, and, and, and we'll just kind of finish with this. It is about being humble. The Spirit cannot strive with those that are going to be puffed up. So we're going to have to be humble. And then he's going to go through three groups that will not humble themselves. Verse 20 of of chapter 28. For behold, at that day, this day, current, he shall, and again, listen to the word, he shall do what? Rage. Wow. Is that, is that awesome? Think about what happens when we start declaring how um, that abortion is wrong. Do people say, oh, well, I, 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 uh, I disagree with you on that point, but I can understand that you would see that uh, abortion would be wrong, but we'll just agree to disagree. Do they do that? What do they do? Rage. It's a war against women. <laughs> you know, we're going to rage. You're saying that I'm morally wrong, that I'm bad, that you're... For that day he will rage in the hearts of the wicked and stir them up to anger against that which is good. They don't just, they're not just apathetic. They are actively attacking. Number two... Now, there's another group. I call these, these are the churched. Others, and, and we will, we're, we're included in this. This isn't just the other churched. This is churched people and us who are churched people. Others he will pacify, he says, and lull them away into carnal security. We're back to that, you know, I'm just going to have a little wine in happy hour. And I'm, I'm not getting drunk, but I'm just... Got a nice buzz going. Yeah, it's for my health. I'm removing the stress. I'm not going to worry about keeping the commandments because, hey, I'm doing good. Yeah, it's kind of the Deuteronomist in our group. Dang it, I keep the commandments. I'm saved. 
And by the way, I can do the other things, be uncharitable and, and not do all those kind of things. And there's some sins going on, like cheating on my taxes or something like that. But, hey, I'm attending church. I fulfill my callings. I'm good. That's a great point. Others, he will pacify. He will lull them away into carnal security. They'll say, all oh, is well in Zion. And, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them carefully. The words here are just awesome. You know, force them down to hell? No. He's going to carefully take them by the hand. They're there. They're kind of mean to you. You're doing okay. Come here. Let me, let me have a find, find a nice place for you to sit and be warm. <laughs> Warmer. <laughs> okay, you're frying, but you won't notice until you get there. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and then there's the third group. Behold, others... He, so some are going to rage, some are going to slumber, and some he's going to flatter. Wow, are you smart. You are so smart. You are smart, smart, smart. You are so intelligent. I'm surprised that you're able to put up with the stupidness in your gospel doctrine class. The stupidness you were surrounded by with people that can't are still working on the basics, and you are smart, smart, smart. You know enough to kind of know the higher stuff, the most important stuff. You know, some people actually believe there was a flood. <laughs> Aren't they stupid? Some people actually believe that Joseph Smith saw an angel. How ridiculous is that? You've advanced beyond that. You're so much smarter. Use your intelligence. Don't be a Neanderthal. That's for the simple people. Others he flattereth away and tell them, Hell, really? Come on. There is no hell. I am no devil. There is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasped them in his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. I just think that these three groups, when he talks about those that are going to struggle with puffedness, those that are going to be angry because of their sins, those that are kind of puffed up and have a nice buzz going because they feel like life is good and I'm okay. And then those that are going to be learned and they're smarter than everybody else. <coughs> of the three inside the church, it's number three that scares me to death. That's the one that I want. We're not going to do anything about the anger people. They're always going to be angry. And as the church becomes stronger and, and fulfills... The, it's the de destiny to fill the earth. These people are going to rage continually. Two, I do, I do worry about because there's a lulliness, but I, as the calamities of the last days come up, some people are going to need to wake up. It is number three that really scares me. Because these are the ones that I watch walking out of the church going, I'm smarter than this. It's the ones that say, you know what? That talk that President Nielsen gave a couple of weeks ago about that the, the revelation on uh, same-sex marriage and that right now we're not baptizing kids that are coming from that, that was mean. I think he's wrong. I think he's wrong. And we're going to say, okay, so he's not going to step out there unless 15 apostles are signing off on what he's about to say and pronounce to the world... And, and they're going to do that in unanimity 
and they're all going to sign off on it. These wonderful apostles, and you're smarter than they are? Who am I trusting more? Well, they're just wrong. Why? Because I know more. Because I get puffed up. I know more. I'm smarter. Look at my degrees. And my studies. And I'm just smarter. Those are the ones I worry about. Those are the ones I think we have to be able to work with. Okay, well, we're over. Okay. There's so much here um, that we are skimming a little bit. Uh, next week, I want to uh, I want to kind of finish with uh, uh, 30, 31, and 32 of Second Nephi. And so we're now we're going to find out about the next one, which is uh, burnings and fire and being able to speak with the with the voice of angels, which I think is one of my favorite verses in all in Second uh, Nephi 31. So. Um, Think about this a little bit. Kind of slowly go through. And as you're reading these chapters, find those colorful descriptive words that Nephi is using and let it paint the picture for you that will give you an idea of what he has in mind. And these things I leave with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.